Tell me your name, wicked one. Long of the Lord's God, how quickly facts! He who commands you is he who orders you thrown down from the highest heaven into the depths of hell. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I now command you! Tell me your name! I My name is Amanda. And I'm Kristen. And, and we, we are, are the Extra Sisters. So sit back, relax, and let's get creepy. <laughs> Welcome to episode 39. And in this episode, we are going to be discussing the 2005 film, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. This movie actually, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't originally on our list and a spot opened up and I was like, put Exorcism of Emily Rose on there. Correct. Actually, we thought Jacob's Ladder was going to take it over, and then it yeah. didn't, and now it di- it is going. I don't know. It was weird. But yeah, Jacob's Ladder was originally supposed to be here. Yeah, and I have a personal issue with this movie. It is one of the scariest goddamn films I've ever seen in my fucking life, and it bothers me to my soul, if you will. Mm-hmm. Literally to the core of my being, this movie scares me. And it has, I saw this movie when I was probably about 13 years old, maybe 12, because it came out around the time I was 12, 13. And it was the first possession movie I ever saw in my entire life. Okay. And then the year after that, I saw The Exorcist. (laughs) Okay. These are my two scariest movies for me. Neither one of them, I think The Exorcist outdoes Exorcism Family Rose in the visual aspect, mm-hmm. this one outdoes The Exorcist in, like, shook my soul kind of way. Okay. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that we differ on our opinions on this. Yeah, this might be the first one where we aren't feeling the exact same on this. Because, honestly, I kind of nodded off watching this. It and that's really boring. Fair. And, I, you know, a lot of it may come down to it shook me when I was so young. Mm-hmm. And... It stayed with me when I... This movie has stayed with me my entire life. Like, I will not watch it unless I absolutely have to. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those where I watched it during the day, and I had someone come and watch it with me. Mm -hmm. I had different friends in and out. I had Katie come in for a little while, and then Sierra came in for a little while. And it started storming, and it was, like, the loudest thunder I've ever heard in Colorado. And, like, I just... I was like, this is the demons telling me not to watch this fucking movie. (laughs) And... It, when it was over, the Blu-ray menu basically is her making those, like, panty screaming noises. That's horrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I quickly cut it off when I went, when I was done. But Brad had gone back into the bedroom and turned the TV back on because he was going to play something on his PS4. Oh, no. And I was in the living room. And he turned it on, but then he went to the bathroom or something, so I just heard the, the noises. Oh, and I was like, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off, please turn it off. And I was like Aww. losing my shit. And so I had to go back there and I was like, eject, eject, eject. And I was like closing my eyes and everything. And it's yeah, to the horrible. point where I couldn't even keep the Blu-ray case or disc in my bedroom. I had to put it back in our recording room where all my Blu-rays are to never look at again, other than <laughs> the spine of the Blu-ray. Because it just... To a very, I don't even, like, an intimate part of me. Mm-hmm. I don't mean that sexually, obviously. No, of course. But a the ver- deepest part of, of your makeup. Exactly. Is terrified of this movie. Everything about it. Just, and it's good in that way. But also, 
I watched it a week ago, and I'm still, like, upset about it. Do you think you can explain why? Do you have any idea? Or is it just one of those that just... No, I I definitely... So if you've seen this movie, just a little... We are going to go through it a little bit, but this movie has a lot of back and forth. Yeah. So it's basically this priest is on trial because this Emily Rose, this girl, Mm -hmm. died during an exorcism or while she was under his care. And so they're prosecuting him for negligent homicide. And so there's a lot of courtroom. And then mm-hmm. while they're in the courtroom and they're talking about what happened to her, it cuts back to her being possessed. Right. And I think a lot of it was one, like I mentioned, it was the first possession movie I ever saw. And mm-hmm. I grew up very religious. Uh, we were Protestant. We were Presbyterian for a little while. And then when we moved, we found a Methodist church. That's kind of my religious upbringing. And even when I was little... I'm talking, like, between, like, three and five. I started questioning religion and God, even when I specifically remember the Presbyterian church I went to when I was between the ages of birth, where I was baptized, and when we moved to about six. Mm -hmm. They used to do this thing during the church service called, like, children's time or children's story or something, and one of the adults would go to the front and sit, there were little steps leading up to the pulpit area. Okay. And they would sit down and all the little kids would run up there and sit around and listen to a little story to kind of keep them engaged in the service. So they did something for right. the kids. And the parents thought it was funny because the kids would run up there and get all excited. And it was around Easter. So, of course, it was the story of Jesus dying on the cross. And literally, I can remember so vividly thinking, that is so mean and God is scary why do we love him so much? Okay. And I know that that's kind of fucked up to say, but I mean, when you're five, you don't process things. Like I didn't know that was like something you probably shouldn't be questioning at that age. So my questioning of my religion started before any outside factors, other people, my peers, school, the internet were even brought into it. You just realized how cruel that was. Right. And it scared me. And then, of course, I watched Prince of Egypt when I was like five or six. And, and the plague. going to be that cruel to his own son. Yeah. What's he going to do to you? The, even that movie scared me so much. Religion scares me. Okay. And it has since I was a little, little, little now, kid. Is it organized religion or is it God? It's God. It's okay. the concept of heaven and hell and sin and being damned and all of those things and when you're scared of the devil and of hell you look to god and i know there's more in the bible in the new testament of like mercy and jesus and being saved but the old testament there's fire and hell and floods and plagues and why watching prince of egypt when i was a little kid something your parents are like like god all did all these things all that stuck with me was the scene where the breath comes out of the firstborn Uh scared the ever-living shit i literally would lay awake at night thinking that god was going to come for my breath i guess you were the firstborn so yeah yeah. and because i did something wrong that day or i lied to my parents or something like that because i didn't understand yeah you know i understood what was happening with moses but i didn't if god can do that he can just do it whenever he wants right Exactly. Like, he sent the floods because humankind had gotten so fucking terrible. And yes, then he sent his son to die and save us all and may, 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 you know, now that's not going to happen because of Jesus, according to the Bible. But he could. Exactly. And when Jesus comes back, according to Revelations, that's terrifying. Mm -hmm. And even from a very young age, 
It has always bothered me. It was never one of those where I grew up devoutly religious and Jesus is my savior and I love Jesus and he is me and I am him. It was, that's fucking scary. And I can't think about that because it scares me too much. So I can't even go to church Okay. because it scares me too much. And so these possession movies really just play on that fear and they dig at it and dig and dig and dig until I think that I'm going to get possessed. Like I, right. I'm so scared of this that I'm an easy target, I guess is kind of what okay. I think. Yeah. And that's why just talking about this, I'm like, can we do this first so we can just get it over with? Like, cause <laughs> yeah. we record a couple of episodes. And so I know that was kind of a long rant, but just some background as to why, like, even the worst possession movies will still get to me. Like, there have been mm-hmm. some ones that I've seen on Netflix that I don't even fucking remember the name of. Mm-hmm. That still, when I was watching, I was like, Ugh, still fucked with you. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't fuck with that. But I like watching them. It's just, they stay with me. I don't sleep well. Like, the exorcist i'm more okay with because i can get over visuals quicker than i can that soul gripping fear of the unknown and what yeah. i can't see and forces working i feel like it's even worse when in this movie we'll talk about in a minute emily rose was very devout in her religious right. belief and this demon still went after her yeah demons so if you are having problems with religion and then even this girl who didn't like, it could come it after you at matter. any moment. It doesn't matter, right. And it's like, well, there's, I'm one of, what, seven or eight billion people? Why me? But it's like, people, this is really dark, but people don't, they th- never think that they'll be the ones in a mass shooting. And then exactly. they are, you exactly. know? And we think of this as a safe country and things happen to people all day, every day. Yeah. And it's just hard to think. And plus with the, my background of, losing a parent so young Mm -hmm. I lost that luxury that I always had up until I was about 17 of everything's fine this doesn't happen to me this doesn't happen to my family because it happened right and so I don't think like that I just think this if it can happen to me it's probably going to happen to me just because of you know some things that I've been through have kind of warped me like that and I don't live under that ignorance as bliss, even though I wish I could. So I think that anything that scares me like this is for sure going to, like, take advantage of me. I don't think it helps that this is based on a true story. I know. and Pretty that's closely based. Literally what it says, like, this is based on a true story when it opens mm-hmm. to fucked up moaning and screaming and stuff. Yeah. And from the moment that movie started, I was like, uh, like, yeah. just, mm. And I've told you, like, I think that... At weeks after I watched this movie, I'll still be fucked up by it because I woke up the other night and there was a spider crawling on my face. I keep my doors open a lot, mm-hmm. but I was like, <gasps> like, why is this spider on me? Yeah. Of all people. Like, why did I wake yeah. up and smear a giant ass spider across my face? Mm-hmm. And then the next day there was an earwig crawling towards me mm-hmm. on my bed. And just like, it's just normal shit, mm-hmm. especially in the summer when everything is like right. around, but it's like why did that happen to me? Or like, it's storming tonight mm-hmm. when we're recording this. And I'm like, it storms probably more days than it hasn't in Colorado exactly. right now. But I'm like, it's like, because of this. Yes. Because another thing this movie does so well is, and why it captivates me to the point that it does is because the people that are just talking about it and in the court case and listening and probably the jurors, it doesn't even really talk about that, but I can imagine are seeing things or feeling things or waking up at three o'clock in the morning and it affected everyone that it touched. Mm-hmm. Well, I watched it, so right. why not me, you know? Absolutely. So it brings me back to a very childlike fear that's almost embarrassing because I'm so scared by this. I watched this movie with my dad, and I slept in bed with my dad. <laughs> and I was, like, 13 years old. 
It wasn't like I was six or seven. Yeah, my mom was out of town, and that was when we would watch horror movies because she was she didn't like it. You know, if you Mm -hmm. listen to our Mother's Day episode, she basically said, "I didn't want you to be exposed to like a violent side of humanity or the world or whatever." But my dad was like, "Eh, it's just a movie. She's fine. If she enjoys it, she she can watch it." But this one, I think I may have slept with my parents for a couple nights because I think my mom was gone a whole weekend. I'm pretty sure I slept with my dad all weekend, and I've never not had a night late. So. I sleep with my TV on now. And if I, ever since this movie, if I have woken up around 3 a.m., I'm like, (gasps) but it's not just this movie that does that. It's, that's just a thing. But this is what I saw it in first. So very childlike fear. So when I go through this movie, it is, like I said, it might be a little embarrassing, but at the same time, this is what horror is supposed to do to you. This is exactly what horror is supposed to do to you. And this is one of them for me and everybody is just a little bit different. You know, this was a while ago. Well, not that long ago, but when we did the summer giveaway and we did Jaws and everything mm-hmm. and we sent that to his username is the Grim Ripka. He mm-hmm. runs a horror Which, Facebook. Shout out to you. We love you. Yes. It was cool meeting you through that. That was awesome. But he runs a horror Facebook page yeah. and he posted something that I really liked. And it was as a horror community, can we stop being mean to each other and making fun of each other? Right. Like there are people that I, I guarantee you will make fun of you for being so scared of the grudge. Absolutely. We'll make fun of me. I've heard me. it my whole life. You really? Yeah. You're afraid of that? Yeah. And will make fun of me for thinking that the exorcism of Emily Rose was horrifying because if you look at reviews of it, it's very mixed. Like this was yeah. the lamest shit I've ever seen. This is probably the scariest movie I've ever seen. I was starting to nod off to it because the courtroom stuff is pretty boring. Her face and when she's like in that dorm room, that shit's scary. (gasps) Oh my God, I forgot about that. I I literally just got chills. It's okay. (laughs) I literally, like I was falling asleep, but I made Connor watch that with me specifically for that scene right there. Oh my God. That makes me literally, I told you I might cry during this. And our exorcism haunted happy hours, like... Which I did in The Grudge, too. May cry. May yeah. actually cry because yeah. I, I, I just, like, well, won't stop. And you don't have to feel bad for me. But, like, it just, mm, thinking that that happens to people. And yeah. there are tons of reported cases of it ha- actually happening to people. Or that poor guy. He's sleeping there. And how long was she laying there <sighs> I like would, that? Mm, like, you saying that right now? Like, uh-huh. I can't. Like, I, mm, I wouldn't even. I know she was begging him to stay with her. And I would, too. Mm-hmm. I'm. I'm a pussy when that comes to that. If you got possessed yeah. by a demon, I would, like, drop stuff off of your mailbox and be like, Connor, right? I brought some stuff. Will you let her know I love her? Yeah. I can't see her. Because I'm I would never be able to look he, at you again. He stayed as long as he did. That makes me want to vomit. That's a loyal-ass dude right there. Yeah. <laughs> Before we start, I just want to... So, this is based on a true story and a very, very quick blurb on how it is. It was based on a German woman... Her name is Annalise, right? Annalise Michael. See, when I was younger, I got into this. I, like, Mm -hmm. listen to the audio and everything because I am, is it a sadist or a masochist that enjoys pain? I don't remember, but. I don't know. Masochist enjoys giving. I think I'm the sadist, but continue. Uh, So Annalise Michael went through a exorcism and her two parents and two priests that that did this exorcism, they were actually put on trial. And that's what this is all about. And in that story... Her parents got off with time served of waiting for the trial, and the priests, I want to say, got like six months or something. It was very minimal it sentencing. Was, it was very minimal, but that's what this is based on, mm. is the trial of that. And of course, Emily Rose is on a house, on a farm, you know, very rural, religious, homeschooled family. Yeah. Really quick, if anybody's interested, we're going to talk more about this exorcism case and one of our haunted happy hours, and you're going to get to hear actual tapes Yeah, anybody's interested. I'm not. I 
quit. <laughs> Ryan, I know you're listening. You can come do that with Kristen. Okay. While I bail. <laughs> Uh, I'm actually really excited for that one because I am the kind of person, this is going to be really fucked up. Okay. Hear like me to out. Get scared? Well, I do. But like when things perplex me to the point where I literally can't wrap my head around them, I get so obsessed with them. And what's fucked up is I was going to mention, I was in third grade when 9-11 happened and we had dial up internet. My parents didn't know it, but I literally watched every single video yeah. read. And I was in like third grade, every single article because I couldn't wrap my head around what happened. I know you've done the same thing with Columbine. You were oh, yeah. very interested in that. My Yeah, I started, I've been to college for a lot of things because I didn't, I never really figured out what, what my path was. One of those things though was criminology and mm-hmm. forensic psychology that I started. And one of the things that I got really into was I wanted to look at really the first widely known mass shooting was called mass school shooting was yep. Columbine. Mm-hmm. And I literally for months, I couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. Like I know everybody's names, dates, the blueprint of it, of Columbine, because I just, when I can't wrap my head around specifically an evil, mm-hmm. like possession, nine eleven, human violence. Mm-hmm. I just can't, I just it get entrenched in it. So I have to be really careful about doing that. And, but the exorcism episode I'm going to do that to myself, but it's going to yeah. fuck me up for like a month. <laughs> I did the, I obviously didn't get as in depth in either of those as you, but I am pretty interested in it, like uh, mm-hmm. conspiracy theories and things like that. Yeah. But the, I've seen all of the footage that was in the like cafeteria and stuff of Columbine. Yeah. And that's the first real thing that I've ever watched that's actually given me nightmares. So. Yeah. It's real and it's human. And mm-hmm. whether you believe in possession or not, what scares me so much is that if you believe in God. You have to believe in the devil. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe in God, then you don't have to worry about it unless you're wrong. Yeah. And that's my thing. I have always struggled with my religion and I don't identify as atheist, but I don't really identify as really anything else. So I guess the closest thing to that would be agnostic. Mm -hmm. But being raised religious, I know that if I'm wrong, it's going to end badly. It's going to end the way these possession movies are. Yeah. This is exactly what it looked, you know, mm-hmm. for me, my hell would be, would Based be on how this. Based raised, exactly. Right. So that's spooky. Let's talk about this movie. Yeah. Sorry about that rant. But I think it's important for like, this is not, there's some movies to be honest that we've done where I'm like, it's just a movie. I watch it, move on, whatever we talk about it. Let's go. Yeah. This is not one of those movies for me. So, mm-hmm. and hearing your take on it as somebody who's not scared by it and who is honestly kind of bored by it, it's going to be so interesting because it just rattles me, mm-hmm. but So Emily Rose, like I said, grew up on a farm, homeschooled, very religious family, which is probably why she was homeschooled because, you know, a lot of evangelical type people homeschool their kids. Mm -hmm. And there is this gray shot of a field with some barbed wire, which is kind of one of the staple images of Mm -hmm. this movie. And it opens with her being dead and the police and coroner and the coroner's like, I don't really know how to rule this death. Yeah. But it's fucked. They're all like. Because you see her face later and wow. It's fucked. Yeah. Yeah. And if you actually Google Annalise, Mm -hmm. there's pictures of her face too. Uh, It's If anybody's interested. Yeah. I don't suggest it, but feel free. I think it does a good job of creating a very eerie atmosphere from the Mm get-go. That for me, even during the trial, it doesn't really lose, but that's probably because the pit of my stomach is just so upset. Yeah. (laughs) So... Emily's father is there, the family's there, and you see, like, a shot of her room, and there are all these just, like, scratches and deep nail marks Mm -hmm. all over the walls, and the police arrest Father Moore. 
Which those scratches were also from Annalise Michael. Like, he found photos of that and put it in the movie. And then it cuts to a courthouse and Father Richard Moore is being walked in and questioned by the media and attorneys are gathered around in a separate room to determine who's going to prosecute this case. They want a religious man so that it doesn't look biased. Right. And then this attorney, this defense attorney named Erin Bruner is introduced and she has just gotten somebody off on a huge murder charge. And that kind of plays into her character and storyline later. Yeah, it does. His name was James Van Hopper and she, he got acquitted of murder. Yeah. And he, she just doesn't really want to defend the priest, but she's like this real hot, popular attorney right now. And her boss is like, you do this, I'll make you partner. Right. And she she's like. to make partner. So cool. All fine, right. Whatever. Yeah. She's an atheist. She's like, whatever. It's, right. It's whatever. not a big fucking deal. Yeah. So she goes to talk to Father Moore and discloses that she's agnostic, actually, is what she said. And he doesn't want her really, but he tells her the only thing he cares about is telling Eddie Rose's story mm -hmm. and what really happened to her and why. And he wants her to promise him that he will be able to testify. Now, this is all the diocese, right? Is yes, the archdiocese this. wants to pay for his defense and they yeah. don't want him to take the stand because yes. they don't want to be embarrassed. Yes. Which is a big, another big part of exactly. this. Exactly. So Aaron also goes to meet with the Rose family and Emily's mother tells her that she went to university to be a teacher. And so I think with a lot of homeschool kids, they're very sheltered. Not that they don't get out to do things with other homeschool kids, but it's like you take a very sheltered child and you shove them off to university. And yeah. you can kind of tell that's kind of why her mom thinks this happened to her because she got out of the safety of her own home. Exactly. Especially a, a really religious person. Like an evangelical. Yeah. yeah. And she, you also get some insight into Emily's character. She wanted to be a teacher. They have so many cats in the house because she couldn't ever leave a stray. I love that. Yeah. So she's a very empathetic, caring. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is why too. And I'm not trying to be like, I'm a great person, but she reminds me a lot of me and yeah, us. Absolutely. Like just very in tune to people's feelings and cares a lot about people to the point of a fault mm -hmm. and can't just leave an animal. Like if, brad wouldn't shut the door in my face my house would just be fucking full of dogs mm -hmm. like and it flashes back to emily celebrating a scholarship and her mom's like not super happy about it mm -hmm. so that's kind of where you get the she doesn't want her to go off to college and aaron the attorney after that and the prosecutor his name is ethan meet up to discuss they want to offer this priest a plea deal Mm -hmm. And he says, I don't want the deal. I want he to take the stand. He wants to tell the story. Yeah. He's like, I don't really it, care what happens to exactly. me. The world needs to hear this. And so he offers reckless endangerment and Aaron's like, nope, we'll take our chances at trial. And she goes over her case notes that night and notes about a family doctor and a medication called Gambutrol that Emily was put on and the side effects that it could have. And then it cuts to her sleeping and her watch stopping at three o'clock in the morning, which is when this all gets started. Yes. And I will never, like you said, like never move ever if you wake up at three o'clock in the morning close your fucking eyes exactly and this is one of the things too that if i ever woke up at three o'clock in the morning of the year that i watched this movie i would just start crying honestly mm -hmm. i was yeah, like I hey, it's time <laughs> they're coming so the prosecutor says they will prove that emily's medical condition needed medical and psychological treatment but that her care was entrusted to father Moore, and he betrayed her by having her abandoned medication and go the route of exorcism which directly caused her death and he shows her before photo, and then he shows this death photo, yeah. which, of course, everyone squirms at. It's brutal. I can't imagine being on the jury. I would be like, can you please replace me? I don't want to hear about this. I don't want to be... Because trials can take weeks, mm -hmm. if not longer, depending on the evidence they have to do. 
I mean, if it helps at all, if you ever were chosen as a juror, they would ask you probably questions about religion and faith and exorcisms, and they'd probably pull you anyway. That's good. <laughs> be like, I cannot be on an exorcism case. I will sob the whole time. Exactly. I am like, I am not going to be objective. <laughs> I won't look at your evidence. I won't listen to your evidence. I mm-hmm. will plug my ears like a child and go, la, 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 la. <laughs> like, I'm not listening. And the family's nanny is brought up to the stand and talks about Emily as a sickly young girl reading and learning music. So she was very quiet, very shy. You're getting kind of a picture of this very caring but kind of meek person. Yeah, definitely. And she was excited to go to university and she told the nanny of a boy she met in a dance she went to. And of course she wouldn't tell her mother. Mm-hmm. So it's, she was almost closer to this nanny than she was to her own mother. And the nanny says that she got a call at 4 a.m. one night on a payphone from a university campus. And Emily was hysterical. Yeah. And I would just like to note that Jennifer Carpenter plays Emily Rose. And mm-hmm. if you've seen Dexter, Jennifer Carpenter was his sister, mm-hmm. Deb. And first of all, I think this was her this was her first film role. I'm pretty sure, yeah. She may have done other things, but I think she went to like Juilliard or some mm-hmm. film school that is really prestigious. Mm-hmm. So she's really talented and man, her it's White Chicks actually came out first and she had a very small role. I think that came out in 2004, but I saw White Chicks after I saw Emily Rose and there's a scene in White Chicks where she's crying about her body. And she, like, cries and looks up. And I'm like, (gasps) I was just so, like, I can't look at Jennifer. I was able to watch Dexter, okay, because you get so into Deb's character. Mm -hmm. But for the longest time, I didn't watch Dexter until, like, 2013. So it was, like, years and years and years after. So it's, like, Linda Blair. Yes, I can't. Yeah. Like, she she does a great job is the point I was getting at. Mm -hmm. So good. But she woke up and she thought she smelled something burning and she looked out into the hallway and she goes out there and these big double doors are swinging and slamming open and closed. And she went to close them and she walks back in and she's a little scared, but she's like, okay, maybe it's windy. I don't know. She gets back in bed and this cup of pins just rattles off her desk and the covers slide off of her like somebody's pulling them and then her bed caves in and something whips her back like on top of her. Mm And she's grasping at her throat and she can't breathe. And it's this whole big ordeal. And then it finally releases and she just rolls off the bed screaming, which is fair. Mm -hmm. I would call you and be like, call a priest or shoot me. Mm -hmm. I don't care which one you do. Just that. So she goes to the university neurologist and he thought that it was epilepsy and that she had a seizure. And it cuts to these horrible convulsions that she apparently had that you didn't see initially when they showed this. And one second. Yeah. So if that's a real thing that happens to people, if people with epilepsy have these types of seizures and have these types of imagery and because your brain is trying to explain what's going on. Yeah. And if that's how your brain tries to explain what's going on, that's fucking terrifying. That's like schizophrenia. Jesus it's Christ, terrifying. That's terrifying. I know we're may go on a lot of tan- side stories on this, but it, that is terrifying. I was watching a TED talk about a schizophrenic that says she sees a couple things. She sees a giant clown. She sees a giant spider, mostly. And she was doing her TED Talk, and she was like, the clown's right back there, and the giant spider's right over here, and I've just learned how to live with them. I mean, even as you're alone in the shower, those things are just with you. Yeah. How fucking... Well, especially before you're diagnosed, too, and that's... Because schizophrenia, hers didn't start till she was in college. That's terrifying. Mm Mm-hmm. I can understand why some of these people go a little crazy. Yeah, me too. And she was so cool. She's like, this is just part of me, but the... You wearing a red shirt. Red's a trigger for the clown. He's right back there. Red. 
Your Slurpee cup right there is red. Exactly. Like, I'd I'd see a clown right now, you know? Anyways, but yes, that would be Some mental illnesses are just And that's another, the millionth thing that's scary about exorcisms and possessions. We're so scientific now, which is so great, and I love that. But if something happened and somebody was like, I'm possessed, immediately people would be like, no, you're schizophrenic or you're psychotic or whatever. But what if you actually are? Exactly. And they lock you in a mental institution and you're just possessed your entire life because nobody will listen to you or help you? Yeah. I mean, I'd hate to say this, but we have a lot of different types of patients and a lot of them say some weird shit that we're like, bro. You're crazy. Fucking crazy. Yeah. they're not? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So the neurologist did an EEG and found something indicative of epilepsy and started her on Gambitrol. And Emily did not keep her follow-ups because, of course, she believed it was a spiritual issue and she eventually stopped taking the medication because Father Moore told her to. So then Aaron cross-examines this doctor and says since it was only a guess that it was epilepsy stopping Emily's use of Gambitrol, you know, that would be a good thing. Yeah. Since he was like, it's probably epilepsy. And he's like, yeah, but... I think that it was. And she's like, well, you're just picking and choosing what symptoms you think are epilepsy. Mm -hmm. These things she felt and saw, that's not indicative of epilepsy. And he's like, eh, it's psychotic epilepsy. It's like he just threw psychotic in there to make it a thing. I mean, there's a lot of things like that. Um, Doctors don't know everything and they act like they do sometimes. And I really wish some doctors would actually flat out tell you, you know, I don't know. Let's try this one. But nobody seems to be, or most people don't seem to be able to do that nowadays. Mm -hmm. That makes me automatically distrust you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Something that I do like when doctors are like, I'm going to have to consult with someone because I need help. Like, yes. I don't expect you to know everything just because you're a doctor. Mm-hmm. I know that even in our small world of eyeballs, there are things that our doctors have seen and they're like, whoa, yeah. I've never seen that before. Even just in this one organ of the body, this yeah. one small so organ. there's no way you can know everything. Right. So later that day or evening, Aaron and Father Moore meet up and he tells her that there are forces surrounding this trial and he tells her to be careful and watch her step. He says, demons exist whether you believe in them or not and being part of this trial might open you up to their attacks. I'd be like, all right, I'm out. Bye. Mm-hmm. And Emily cut back to her. Now the Emily scenes are incredibly good. Mm-hmm. There's not a ton of them, which is which, why I think some people get lost in this movie a little bit Mm -hmm. because they're like, oh, we're back in the courtroom. It doesn't do that for me because I think hearing about these possessions in, I think that a possession, obviously it did. This was real. It actually went to trial. And if that did happen, uh, what would we do? How would we respond? How would the court systems respond to this hokey shit, if you will, being in the forefront and the limelight and truly a homicidal issue. So I think that's why the court case got me so much too, because they're watching all these people being affected by this exorcism, these demons, this possession also really scared me. Yeah, Like absolutely. this attorney had nothing to do with Emily Rose until she was no. put on Father Moore's. And it starts affecting her. Yeah. And maybe the prosecutor, you don't see any of that. Maybe the jury, maybe the judge. You don't know because they're not going to come in and be like, I woke up at three o'clock last night and it smelled shitty. Like nobody's going to talk about that. So do you want to hear about some real life stuff that happened to this movie? I guess. So Laura Linney, the woman who plays the lead defense, she actually during production, her TV would turn on in the middle of the night all by itself. Mm -mm. And I would fucking quit, honestly. Jennifer Carpenter. So we know she's our lead. She had a radio that would turn on in the middle of the night all by itself, and it would play Pearl Jam's Alive, and specifically, 
a part that was, I'm still alive, I'm still alive, I'm still alive, over and over and over again. I literally want to cry. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's just like, that's what, I can't say I'm atheist because I truly think that there's shit that we don't understand, but I can't say that I love a God that scares me so much Mm -hmm. at this point. Like, I know that the fear of God should be in every heart that loves God, if you will, Mm -hmm. they should, but love and fear, typically when we think of love and fear and a human to human relationship, that's abusive. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, if a woman loves her husband and is terrified of him, he's abusive. Mm -hmm. But when you're told to love God, it's like, yes, you should fear him, but you should love him because he loves you wholeheartedly. And I just have such a a struggle with that Mm -hmm. and not even a problem with that. It's just like, I just personally struggle with that a lot. But when things like this start happening to people on set, like this set, like the Exorcist set, especially that radio thing. There's no way that Pearl Jam song is playing at that spot at that time every single night. That mm-hmm. just, they can do whatever they fucking want. And that's so scary. Exactly. And <sighs> these people were just attached to the movie because they were playing actors that maybe were based on a true story of Annalise Michael and it's affecting them too. Yeah. And I hate to say this and be this negative and be this speculative about true events, but who knows how it affected them later in life like this is gonna sound really fucked up but jennifer carpenter married michael c hall he got cancer they got divorced like do you know what i mean what if this just follows them and causes Mm -hmm. negative shit to happen to them the rest of their life or people they love yeah that was probably not it at all but that's a scary way to look at it though yeah but yeah like even if it's not directly like turning on your lights and turning on your tv what if there's just like this negative force that will bring you down your entire life so it cuts to emily basically being under observation at the university hospital and she's seeing faces in the storm from her window and she starts convulsing on the ground and screaming and jason her boyfriend or boy friend you know yeah says they've had like one date in her yeah she says that he yeah sorry he tells the court that she told him that she resisted the demons the night that they came for her in her dorm room. But that night in the hospital, they overcame her. And that's when her possession started. Yeah. And that's, I keep saying this and I'm not trying to sound like a broken record, but that's so scary because it happened to you once and they weren't successful. They're going to come for you again. Yeah. Especially if you're seeing things, you're like just waiting. When's it going to happen? Mm-hmm. They could just do whatever they want anytime they wanted to. And then there's a shot of her walking into school and seeing demonic faces in the window and hearing voices in class and she starts crying in class because everything is so warped and a student looks at her and his face changes to his eyes bleeding black and his Mm -hmm. mouth opening and being a black void and of course she gets up screaming and runs that's terrifying and another thing too that just stayed with me is if you are possessed and they're making you see those things no one else can see them no one's going to believe you and the public humiliation of just running around screaming and looking like a crazy person and no and, one can help you. And everyone just looking at you like you're crazy. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Like, I'm the kind of person I don't like confrontation. And strangers scare me. Like, if I saw someone running and screaming, I don't know that I would, like, stop and really help. I, I You know, I hate yeah. that about you myself. You want to say that you would, but then when you actually think about it, you'd probably be, like, what afraid of her as well. Yeah, exactly. 
And then she runs into the university chapel because she's like, sanctuary, sanctuary, safety, safety. God. These are demons. She knows what this mm-hmm. is. And she sees these two women in the chapel and looks at them and their faces do the same thing. They start bleeding these and screaming at women. her. And she just looks at them and screams right in their faces. Oh my fucking God. And they run out the chapel. They're like, fuck that. Uh, yeah, right? Or that poor girl, but she's going through something. And Jason sees her running into the chapel, so he follows her, and she walks in all wet and crying, and it zooms in on her eyes, completely dilating at the altar. Oh, God. See, that one. There were some bad... I can't. That was so bad. Demons. There, there were some real bad eye scenes in this movie. Dude. Like, the when worst. When it dilated like that, I was like, ugh. Yeah. And Jason walks up behind her as she's reaching her arm towards the altar and towards the cross in the center of this church. It's like she's trying to reach out towards. Yeah, like God, please help but me. It's pulling her away. Which Literally, is physically, her yeah. back bends backwards, uh. and she's like making these growling noises. And Jason's like Emily, and he comes up to her, and it just turns and it says, "Don't touch me!" With like blood red eyes, and then she falls to the ground. And Jason's like, "Oh shit!" Mm-hmm. Like, fuck that. But then of course Emily is back in control at this moment and is sobbing and it's like jason please don't leave me yeah how terrifying you're going through this all alone and he just crawls back to her on the floor which is really sweet that's a good Re- guy but damn a like, better guy than i would be I honestly I, yeah, I would. there's like being an asshole and leaving somebody to suffer alone and then there's just being terrified out of your mind and your brain going all right we're in fight or flight and we're flight yeah exactly. get out and then it cuts back to jason talking to the courtroom and to excuse me it cuts back to jason talking to aaron one-on-one and he says and i never did leave her even until the end i never knew how dead i was until i met her so he really did love her yeah and then aaron is sitting in a bar that night and sees a news report of van hopper the man she helped get acquitted of murder killed two people and she's clearly upset and like shook by that and then that night when she's sleeping the clock changes to 3 a.m And she wakes up and she goes to her kitchen to check the stove because you can assume she smelled something burning, which is exactly what Emily did. She woke up, thought she smelled something burning, went into the hallway to check. This was the other scene that fucking scares the shit out of me. Mm -hmm. So she's getting a glass of water and she sees that her kitchen clock stopped at three. And she hears and sees her front door open just opens the fuck up she lives by herself and she drops her water glass and it shatters of course and she scrambles to shut it and lock it and gets back in bed that was deliberate Mm -hmm. all of her she had a a couple locks deadbolts chains yes all of those were just like open really you don't believe in me okay yeah let's try let's try Mm -hmm. And then back at the jail, Father Moore also wakes up and gets up to see a shadowed figure, like a almost a hooded shadowed figure walking towards him. And he begins to pray and it goes away. And then it cuts to the courthouse the next day. I would just like to interject here that we just had to t- stop because I have my notes on my phone and then like they just went completely white and I had to like restart them and yeah. i'm like convinced that this movie is fucking with I mean, me we had that huge like rock or something hit my car bro literally today like the it loudest the... rock i've ever heard in my life left no dent didn't crack my window we pulled over we couldn't fucking find the problem but it was so fucking loud it hurt i'm sure we're fine you have that new sage yeah i do <laughs> so aaron is late to court and she walks in 17 minutes late and emily's photo is blown up in the front of the courtroom they're like, 
Don't forget. <laughs> Her parents are there. Yeah. Jesus. That's really terrible. Like, I get you need to do what you do for a trial, but I hope they at least warned them. You know what's really fucked up, too, is being a child of a parent that died from cancer, I have such a problem, this is really personal, but compartmentalizing that trauma surrounding that, that my brain basically won't, or it's getting better, but, like, I had to go through a lot of, like, EMDR therapy and stuff like that because, and I've told you this before, I don't have memories of my father from before he was sick. Like, they're there. All you see is his sick face. My brain just locks them away because it's, like, too painful to deal with. And then I've only been able to access some of those in EMDR-type therapy, which is not hypnosis, but it is – it puts you in a different state yeah. of mind uh, on, intentionally. And I can't imagine, like, that face. Like, they probably – for me, like, I wouldn't be able to remember my daughter any other way other than that because yeah. it was so traumatizing. The trauma just stays Right at the forefront of your yeah. brain. And now we're blowing it up. And it becomes a PTSD situation. Mine yeah. did. Mm-hmm. You know, PTSD doesn't have to be war and battlefields. Right. Trauma is trauma is trauma to the brain. Yes. And so that would be my memory of my daughter. I mean, just on a surface level, Jennifer Carpenter, to me, yeah. Yeah. that's her. That's mm-hmm. her face. And that's just a fucking movie. Yep. So this psychiatrist neurologist is on the stand. He's like a neuropsychiatrist. He says the cause of death was gradual shutdown of the bodily functions, physical traumas exacerbated by malnutrition. Some injuries were from seizures and some were self-inflicted. He thinks it was psychotic epileptic disorder, a rare disorder that he describes symptoms that mirror her episodes, what he thinks are episodes. And he thinks she would be alive if she had kept taking Gambutrol. So Aaron asks him about Gambutrol controlling Emily's condition and mentions she was still having hallucinations while she was on Gambutrol. And she calls him out for making up, basically just making up psychotic epileptic disorder. He said he would have tranquilized her, force fed her, and electroshocked her to save her life. Against her will. Yeah. So Rich is really better. She asked to be exercised. She asked to stop this medication. I just don't, like, that's hard for me to put that on anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess if somebody's mentally incapacitated, you could argue she couldn't make decisions for herself, but she was lucid. Yes. It's not like the demons were 100% of the time, Emily. I mean, it's not like her parents had, deci- had to decide to put her on Gambutrol. She made that decision as well. So she was yeah. allowed to make this decision. To stop it. Yeah, exactly. And to proceed with spiritual yeah. healing. So court recesses and the next day defense will give opening statements because in the beginning, Erin actually deferred to make an opening statement until she got some of the information out on the table for the jury is what I assume anyways. And she tells Father Moore her power was out and that's why she was late because she slept through her alarm. And he says, you're under attack and you're in a spiritual battle. And Aaron is freaking out because they're losing the case. Mm -hmm. These medical professionals are pummeling them basically. Yeah. And her co-worker helps do research on demonic possession and the doctors she wants to testify are unavailable. So they had a, a few doctors they were going to bring in that could say, like, it wasn't epilepsy or whatever mm-hmm. that were going to help them. But one was with another trial and one was in the Bahamas or something like that. And instead of punching holes in the medical approach, she wants to try to validate possession with, I think, a religious anthropologist or yes, something like that. I love her. Yeah. She's fucking amazing. Yeah. And just a side note. Connor is actually an atheist. He's not agnostic. He's an atheist. And he watched this with me. And watching this anthropologist talk about exorcism as a spiritual medical thing made him go, I understand religion a little bit more. 
And that was really cool for a movie to do. Yeah. And I took just a semester of cultural anthropology and there every single human experience is across every culture just in different variants yeah god is allah is zeus is whatever you want to call it yeah. it's the same thing it's the same deity to most of these people like i know that's not 100 percent accurate but you know what i mean like everybody has a god yes and it's all the same thing it's all yes. it's an omnipotent power and or they have multiples Exactly. Or whatever, but every human experience is across the board just in different variants. To like, if we're talking spiritually and things like that, you know, Absolutely. traditionally. So I loved her testimony, was my favorite. She was the best. Yeah. She was absolutely amazing. And I believe her most, more than anybody else. Yeah. And the next day, she opens court by telling the jury that she was, in fact, possessed. And then it cuts back to Emily taking her meds in the mess hall with her boyfriend. And every sound, the clanking of silverware, the drinking and eating sounds in people's mouths and throats, teeth grinding together is amplified in her head and stereo, basically. And Jason is on the stand telling the court that she was always hungry, but they would not let her eat. But they would let her take the medicine. Yeah. And he tells them that night he walked her home and she was nervous and scared and he held her for a while and fell asleep. And when he woke up. Emily was gone, and she was on the floor, completely contorted and frozen and, like, petrified, like in Harry Potter, when they're just, like, frozen like that. just staring at him. Eyes wide open and eyes blown out, just look at it. It is one of the most haunting things I've ever seen in a movie, personally. And I know we talked about it in our Women in Horror episode, but Jennifer Carpenter did that. They actually had two dummies that were going to do those stunts for her. And she was like, mm, I bet I can do it and make it creepier. And she did. And she actually did that by sitting in a room full of mirrors just to watch her face and watch her body mm. contort and see how she could do that stuff. I wouldn't want to see myself like that. <laughs> I know, right? I would love to act in a horror movie. Not that I can act. But I, I, I would love to act a part of either a villain or a victim like that. Mm-hmm. Somebody that gets killed in a movie or... I probably wouldn't play a possession movie because of the way that I know that it affects me. But, like, to do that would be really cool and I think very creative. And you could dig really deep and do some, like, very primal things that would actually be kind of... why the Academy needs to pay more attention. Yeah. But that would seem like it would be liberating, too. But also, that is... Like, Reagan, uh, Linda Blair is immortalized like that forever. And it's something that she's accepted and loves about herself. And she Mm -hmm. is, like, you know... But for me... I don't know. I've had dreams. For a dreams. long time, she didn't. When she was That's growing true. up, she hated that. Yeah. For a while. When I have... Some of my scariest dreams are of me looking in the mirror being possessed. Yeah. And so... <laughs> Let alone Jennifer Carpenter watching herself. She's like, no, nah, I can do that. Yeah. And if you look... Like, I w- watched it with Sierra, and she was like, oh my god, look at her foot. It's, like, bent. Yes, it is. She, um, She's just, like, really flexible and managed to do that. Apparently. I, no, no, no. Now I can't get that out of my head. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> so, Jason and Emily's father basically get her in her bed at home they're like okay she's going home. jason's like i can't i can't just hold her in this go away like yeah you know so she goes home and they call father Moore. which that's a brave fucking dude because she's not even basically supposed to be having a boyfriend we kind of get let alone him calling her father and then bringing her carrying her into that house i also it doesn't show you how he like dealt with that it shows you him her looking at him and then her being carried into her bedroom yes. at home. It doesn't show you what he had to do to get her home. Yes. How did she come out of that? Did he, I would have been like, I'm going to let you do you. 
I'll be back in like 20 minutes. Can you get back in bed, please? Yes, <laughs> like, exactly, right? I cannot watch you come out of this right no. now. Sorry. If she started moving, I would, like, I exactly, would literally right? pass out like, or die. Like, would you do? Turn the TV on and just, like, watch a comedy while she does her thing? No. If she even, like, twitched a little bit, yes. I would be like, oh, my God. <laughs> Exactly. No. That is a brave, motherfucking, loyal ass dude. Exactly. Like, no. I'm like, I'm upset. Um. <laughs> so they call Father Moore and... He comes as, pretty much as soon as Emily gets there and her sister walks into her room and she's crouched and praying and there are scratches all over her walls already. So she goes from like, really this whole movie goes from like zero to 80 as far as her scenes are concerned. Yes. Like it doesn't fuck Once around. she's possessed, it's like now. Hmm. Yeah. And she's eating bugs and spiders as she's kind of whispering and praying to herself. And she starts pulling her hair out. Like, she looks at her sister and just starts Mm -hmm. pulling, like, from the scalp. Not just, like, like from the scalp pulling her hair out. And Father Moore and her dad hold her down. And she does, like, this silent scream. That's actually what got her the part. When she went in to audition for it, she did that silent scream. And it scared the fuck out of the director. And he's like, yours. (laughs) You're going to be great. (laughs) And then Father Moore asks, Emily, can you hear me? And the demon starts speaking in Aramaic mm-hmm. and or a different language, as you know. And her body contorts and stiffens to the point of not moving when they set her upright. Like she's cardboard. She falls on the friggin' floor. <laughs> Face plants. <laughs> but the demon says, I am the one who dwells within. Think you can force me out, priest? Try. I dare you. Mm-mm. Nope. And then her, <laughs> her body not only falls, but it like cracks and then yeah. she falls. And the body popping, cracking sounds in demon movies, I'm like. <laughs> and when they lay her down, she cuts the, the priest's face with her nails by slapping him. So he's got these like three basically claw marks down <laughs> his face. So when the priest leaves, he sees Emily in the window playing piano. Like, she's standing, you see her standing and just looking outside, and then the priest comes outside, and then she walks away, and she's just playing this very haunting melody on the piano. The demon's fucking with him hard. Or it's giving her some, she's trying to communicate. So then it cuts back to the courtroom, and Emily's father is being questioned by the prosecution. And he asks him about his mental health knowledge, and he doesn't have much, but does admit to his family having a history of mental illness. And he said Emily did not feel mentally ill to them. And they turned her completely over to Father Moore for care. And then the defense calls the anthropologist. And she studies spiritual experiences in different cultures. And she basically scientifically studies possession. And she says she thinks that Emily was a hypersensitive. And that's why this happened to her. She had an unusual connection to a separate reality or a spirit realm or whatever you want to call it. They can have visions, see the dead, and she says they're susceptible to invasions. Mm -hmm. So that's why she thinks this happened. And the prosecution objects to the testimony, but the judge rules to let them explore the alternative explanation since they've done so much into the medical. And this doctor thinks Gambutrol is the reason that the exorcism failed. Yes. She says that it cuts the person off from the possessed experience, which may have been good for Emily in a way. So she wasn't yeah. quite as entrenched in this, but, but it also, also cut her off from the exorcism. Right, she couldn't do anything to fight it. Yes. So the drug made her immune to it, and Gambutrol locked Emily in the possessed state, and therefore it directly contributed to her death. And I could really see this in real life, like people, jurors, you know, having such a hard time with that. I don't. With that explanation. 
with, you know, oh, yep, the drug locked her into possessed state and wouldn't happen because we just so, I think we fight and fight and fight to explain things that we can't understand because they're scary. I, okay, this is, there are drugs where if you take it, it will cause you to be impotent because taking that drug cuts off blood flow and things like that. Right. So how is this necessarily any different? Right. It cuts you off from something. Yeah. And that's what it's supposed to be doing, even though you need to get there. Yeah. And it's so interesting, too, because I think a lot of religious people don't even believe in possession. Yeah. Because absolutely. it's too scary to believe in. So yeah. it's one of those things like, nah, that's not real. But if you think real. angels can come to you, yeah. demons can also come to you. They are exactly. essentially fallen angels. Exactly. So they're just angels that want to do you harm as opposed to help you. Right. So after court, Aaron gets a new witness that wants to testify. And he was an eyewitness. He was at the exorcism. And he's a medical doctor because Father Moore did things right. He he wanted a medical doctor present to, one, keep an eye on her. And also just so, like, if something like this happened, could be, like, it wasn't Father Moore. It was, you know. And Father Moore said he would keep the doctor's information confidential, which is why he didn't tell Aaron about Dr. Cartwright. So Aaron meets with Dr. Cartwright and he's a fidgety bitch like i would be scared i mean he saw this yeah he didn't even necessarily believe it in the beginning no and then shit happened and then he was a believer because he was there because like i said father moore wanted a medical psychiatrist perspective to observe during the exorcism so they had all bases covered and cartwright is he's shook he says that she was not ill at all in any way if he had known what he was going to see he would have never even gone and he examined her, and she was completely lucid and aware of what was going on, which means it is counterindicative of psychosis, like they're saying she had. He says he will he will testify to that. And he pulls out an audio tape and tells Aaron, it's your burden now. I'd be like, nah, you can keep it. I don't need anything that can go play in the night. Like, no. Like it does. Or I don't even want to hear it at all. Dude, right? I say that, and then I've listened to the Annalise Michael tapes, but I... I don't keep them. (laughs) And he walks away and tells her, as a doctor, I could not help her. And then Aaron tells Father Moore Cartwright is going to testify, and he's eager to find out when he will be able to testify. And Aaron and Father Moore talk about the spiritual attacks that are going on. Aaron tells him that she was walking around and, you know, just kind of daydreaming, thinking about the court case and what it would mean if she believes in all this. And then she found a golden locket on the sidewalk with her initials engraved on it. And it made her feel like she was exactly where she needed to be right now and like she was on the right path. And he tells her that she should wear the locket. And she tells him the archdiocese doesn't want him to testify, but she is going to let him. Yeah. So she's starting to be like, okay, this is, this is real stuff. Like... Somebody was like, you should, you should take this locket because you're under attack and some sort of amulet or protection or whatever, or just to make you feel warm and fuzzy. Like somebody's watching out for you too on the other side of this. Right. And he's like, you need to fucking wear the necklace because somebody gave that to you to wear because of all this. Like, Mm -hmm. how are you ever the same after seeing an exorcism? Like Jason was there. Her boyfriend was there. Her father. Like, how do you sleep ever again? I have no idea. Lots of medication. Yeah. I'd be like, you can give me Gambutrol. (laughs) So that night at 3 a.m., she wakes up to the tape of Emily's exorcism being played in her living room. (gasps) I busted ass, almost, running to my room to turn the Blu-ray off. (laughs) Like, I almost fell because I was like, turn that shit off. Like, I was running and 
that was just the Blu-ray. I yeah. can't imagine having a truly, like, horrifying, very real audio turn on in the middle of the night. Yeah. I, All by yourself. No. Pulled out of the bag no. that it was in no. and turned on. Mm-mm. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. So the next day, she puts Father Moore on the stand. And the day before Emily's exorcism, he woke up at 3 a.m. and smelled something burning. He got up. And, of course, he's in, like, a church. He got up and the stained glass starts bleeding and crying and the father starts praying and running and he ends up outside in the rain and sees a hooded figure coming towards him. And he tells the prosecutor he perceived it as the demons telling him the game is on and he believes it was a demonic manifestation to scare him. And he says he has seen the figure ever since. It's just following him. Yeah. Fuck that. Mm -hmm. No. no. Well, he saw it in the jail. We saw. Yep. Mm -mm. Nope, 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 nope. So Emily's exorcism took place on October 31st, which is Halloween, to increase demonic activity to draw them out because the prosecutor was like, well, that's very flashy of you, you know, Mm -hmm. and he's like, well, there's a reason All Hallows' Eve is what it is because evil and demonic things pick up and whatever. So he was like, maybe on their day, they would be more willing to come to the forefront and and play a little bit more, if you will. Aaron gets the tape of the exorcism out and they play it and then it cuts to the exorcism. Which I hate. (laughs) Emily's father, Jason, Father Moore, and Dr. Cartwright are there. And Father Moore says, don't ask it any questions or listen to it. And he begins by throwing holy water. And of course, Emily looks up and the, like she snaps her head up and the demon eyes just blow Mm -hmm. out. And she immediately rips free of the restraints. There's no like talking or like, stop, no, no holy water. She's like ripping the restraints out barreling through like she's very active and physical and she starts this phrase from this movie has stuck with me my entire life one two three four five six like i it i just got chills on the side (laughs) of my face because of that specifically and all the cats come in and start scratching people up and start freaking out and emily bails out the window from the second story and just tears ass into the barn and Jason grab, grabs her first and says she's burning up. And they hold her down. And she just starts her scream. Jennifer Carpenter screams. I don't even think they had to do a ton of voiceover for her screaming, mm-hmm. if any at all. Because she's just that good and terrifying. The doctor takes her vitals and her heart rate is at 180 beats per minute. And the snakes and rats start flocking towards them. And Father Moore puts a crucifix on her chest and she convulses and she's screaming to get it off. And she grabbed the doctor and hurts him, fucks him up, scares him to death almost too. Dude. And releases him and starts just like stomping around. Like she's like, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. And Father Moore says, tell me your name, demon. And she screams names. Like Mm -hmm. just, you can barely understand her because it's so. One of them's Lucifer though. And that's terrifying. She says, again, one, two, three, four, five, six. Mm -hmm. And it says, we are the ones who dwell within. I was the one that dwelled within Cain. I was in Nero. I was in Judas. I was with Legion. I am uh, like Belial or something like that. And then she says, I am Lucifer, the devil in the flesh. And she looks up and her eyes are gleaming. And I was just like, yeah. And then the horses break out and injure Emily's father and the doctor's too petrified to help. He's like shaking on the ground. The horses, man. They're like, this is our home. Get the fuck out. Get yeah. that crazy bitch out. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, 
do, do y'all know the devil's in here? Can we go? <laughs> like We were just in here sleeping. <laughs> and then Emily passes out and she falls into a deep sleep. And Father Moore says the whole thing was basically an utter failure. Mm-hmm. All they did was get scared. Yeah. Real scared. And they got to hear all the names. Yeah. From then until her death, she was violent to others and herself. She screamed for hours on end. She bit holes in the wall and her teeth were all broken and jagged. And she refused another exorcism. Can you imagine just for a second? She had like a million siblings and they all live in the house. Yeah. I'd call anybody and be like, can I stay with you? (laughs) My sister won't stop screaming. I mean, was the mom even there during the exorcism maybe she she took the kids somewhere else well there i think there was a scene i don't remember if it was during the exorcism or at some other point where she's sitting downstairs with all the kids like holding them yeah i would get the fuck out of the house i'd be like yeah that's my daughter and i feel bad but i gotta go like (laughs) well you need to protect your other kids too exactly like i wouldn't if it was my child that would probably be different i would probably be there but like I'd have to love somebody a lot. (laughs) A lot more than I love myself. That's for sure. So Father Moore says he encouraged her to eat, but they wouldn't let her swallow. And he says he never recommended she stop seeing doctors. He only recommended she stops taking the Gambutrol for the same reason that the anthropologist said. He knew that that was going to block any progress. And they together felt she was beyond medical care. And then Aaron asks about the dual voices on the tape. And he says they are legitimately from Emily. And then the prosecution grills him on the vocalizations and says Emily studied Greek, Hebrew, and Latin, and she could have been exposed to Aramaic, which was what was spoken on the tape. And prosecution says everyone has two sets of vocal cords and basically taunts him, Mm -hmm. which is what lawyers do. Mm -hmm. And then Dr. Cartwright doesn't show up, so the judge recesses them until the next day. And then Aaron meets Dr. Cartwright in the parking lot, and he says, tell father, I know demons are real. I know what they can do. And he looks behind her real quick, like something's behind her. And then he gets hit by a car, uh, barreled over yeah. by a car. And then, of course, she's getting drunk and her boss is pissed because the archdiocese is paying for this defense. And they said specifically, do not put him on the stand. And she fucking put him on the stand yeah. because she was going to put him on the stand and then bring in this medical doctor, which has been winning the other side, corroborate his story. Mm-hmm. But, of course, that didn't happen. So her boss basically says that you're fired if you put him back on the stand. And so she goes to visit him and she tells him about Cartwright and she tells him without Cartwright's testimony, it's over. And he says he needs to go back on the stand and tell Emily's story. And she says she can't let him do that. And he says, this demon shit ain't going to stop until I finish this and tell her story. Yeah. And so the next day going into court, Aaron is wearing the locket and she recalls father more to the stand. And then her boss gets up and he leaves the courtroom. He's like, you dumb bitch. What I just tell you. And Father Moore has a letter Emily wrote the morning after the failed exorcism. And Father Moore believes one day Emily will be recognized as a saint for what she went through. And Aaron basically asks him why God allowed this to happen to her. And he says he will let Emily answer that question with the letter. And this was a really cool scene, I thought. Emily said she awoke a few hours after the exorcism to a voice calling to her. So she went out to follow it, basically. And she wanders to a tree in her yard and lays underneath it. And then a whole undemonic self is looking down at her. Mm-hmm. You know, she has an outer body experience and is right. looking down on her possessed body. And in her letter, she says, Mary came to her and said, heaven is not blind to your pain. And Emily asked why she suffered like this. And 
Mother Mary said she was sorry, but the demons are going to stay where they are. You can come with me in peace now, or you can choose to continue this, and you will suffer greatly. But if you stay, you will make people believe. And she says, I choose to stay. And she wakes up with stigmata. Mm-hmm. So you're a little more religious than me. Explain. Yeah. And stigmata is not, but explain that a little bit. So there's actually a horror movie about it if anybody wants to see it. It's called Stigmata. It's literally called Stigmata. <laughs> and Stigmata happened, this actually happened to St. Francis of Assisi. And what happens to these people is they get all of the things that happened to Jesus Christ when he died. So they will get punctures in their hands and their feet. They will get stabs in their side. They will get punctures along their foreheads because of where the crown of thorns is. Mm -hmm. And it just amps up and amps up and amps up until it finally kills them. Right. Just like Jesus Christ. Right. So she gets that, which... I'm sure it would be terrifying, but also you know that this is going to come to a a head, a yes. holy head for you, basically. You're... And it's because you're chosen. It's because God loves you above all else, basically. Yeah. Is what it's supposed to be. Right. And in the letter, she said, in the end, good will triumph over evil. Through my experience, people will learn that God is real. People say God is dead, but how can they think that if I show them the devil? And then Father Moore says the wounds on her hands lasted for a long time. And Father Moore said that he thinks Emily refused another exorcism because she had accepted her fate. And then there are the closing statements. And of course, the prosecution says she suffered because of a medical condition and Father Moore neglected to have her treated. And then the the jury comes back with a guilty verdict. So they, they do convict him of negligent right. homicide. But... They basically say, we would like to recommend that he gets time served. And the judge accepts that. She says, you are guilty, Father Moore, and you are free to go. The jury, or the people that played the jury in real life, they were never given a script. They had no idea how this was actually going to play out until the end. So basically, they were a jury. They were watching this? Yeah. How horrifying. And they were a hung jury because they actually split 50-50 on if he was guilty or not. That's so cool that they did that. that. Yeah, they actually let them deliberate. Yep. So... He would have gotten a mistrial. Yeah, he would have. Had this been a real real trial. So at the bar, Erin is drinking and her boss says they're pleased and everyone considers it a win. Even though she lost, she made enough of a sympathetic character to get him off with no time having to be served Mm -hmm. other than what he's already been in jail for. He basically says, you made partner. And she's like, nah, I don't want it anymore. Why? You even had to deal with a demon. I know. (laughs) Father Moore and Aaron visit Emily's grave, and he says he cannot return to the parish, and he will carry the darkness with him for the rest of his life. She says she's not sure what she's seen. You know, she's still really freaked out, but still her faith is shaken because she didn't have any, and now she might. That's That's still shaking your faith. Yeah. And... Father Moore chose the epitaph on Emily's headstone and it said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's really the last thing Emily had said to him. Yeah. And then Erin is putting up her case file in a box and she goes to bed and she turns her alarm clock around again because she had faced it away from her and she goes to sleep. And then it gives you some background information and, you know, just in words at the end. And it says, Emily's gravesite has become an unofficial shrine. After the trial, Father Moore went into seclusion. Aaron gave her case to an expert to further document the life and experience of Emily Rose and the work that inspired the film. And that work, sorry, that that expert did inspired this film. That scares me so much. Because of all the reasons I've said, like, I don't know how many more times or how much different I can say, like, this movie just... And I know, like, for a lot of people, like you, for example, the court stuff might be, like, 
kind of dreary and kind of mm-hmm. like, eh, it's just a lot of talk. If it helped at all, Connor loved this movie. He was he hates horror movies, loved this one because of the court stuff. Because yeah. it brought it into a scientific real possibility, whereas I was bored with it. See, and that's where Connor and I agree. Like, when mm-hmm. it's brought into, you kind of take it, yes, it's a movie, but you take a possession movie and you put it in real life. Yeah. What would happen? What could happen? What would attorneys say? What would we do? What would the jury think? And because of it being in such a practical situation, however impractical the case may be, Mm -hmm. or whether you believe in it or not, a real jury, or I'm not sure how Germany does their legal system, and I know this was a case from Germany, Mm -hmm. but a real jury was in on this, did this, or a judge at the very least in in Germany's legal system, you know, and... I just can't imagine having to face that head on in real life as an attorney, as a judge, as jury, as somebody watching, as the media. Like, I just, as the police that found her, mm-hmm. that were called to the scene as the coroner, like, it just, like I said, and I've said so many times, it shakes me to my very core. And it makes me feel like I'm being watched by demons all the time because that's what the movie sets up that's happening to these people. Yeah. So that's why this will stay with me for a week after we record this. It's been a week since I watched it because we talked about this. It'll probably stay with me for another week because I I just constantly feel like there's something behind me, over my shoulder, some evil force that I can't see because this movie to me did such a good job of throwing in your face. It's there. You can't see it, and whether you believe it or not, because none of these people did. And, yeah. And he's still, like, and it just makes me have goosebumps everywhere. <laughs> Anytime I talk about it or think about it or remember her face or her scenes or her screaming, it's just, like, I just can't imagine seeing that in real life. And movies, you can. And books, too. You just get so entrenched in them that it is, like, real life. And it could be. And especially based on a true story. And I know horror movies say that a lot, but this one truly is. Paranormal, paranormal Activity wasn't. This one fucking is. There is real audio out there that you can go and listen to. It's like an hour and a half long exorcism. And it's horrifying. And I couldn't even get through 10 minutes of it years and years and years and years ago when I tried Mm -hmm. to listen to it. So, and Robbie Manheim, Monheim, whatever that the exorcist is based on. Like these, that one was in the United States. This was in Germany. This isn't happening in like third world countries. It is also, but it's also happening right here. Yeah. And like you said, it's happening to religious people. It's happening to atheists. It just doesn't, doesn't matter. It's, it's, yeah, it doesn't fucking matter. Well, thank you guys for hanging in there with me. I know I rambled a lot, but I just, I literally still, even after talking for an hour about this movie, still don't feel like I've truly expressed my fear and what mm-hmm. this movie does to me properly or adequately. I just feel really on edge. <laughs> but that's good. It's a very successful film. I gave it a five out of five, to be honest with you. Yep, and I, this is the first time we're not going to agree because I've seen this three times now. Mm-hmm. And I think the first time, well, actually, the first time that I saw it, I didn't even remember I saw it. So I watched it again going, hey, wasn't there, like, an exorcism movie that came mm-hmm. out? The second time I watched it, her face freaked me out. That was basically it. This third time, I started nodding off and fell asleep a little bit. Yeah. So two, maybe yeah. a three. It's yeah. really boring to me. That's fair. And that's, there will be some that we disagree on. Yeah, I fine. think that's our first one, though. But you, you haven't also, like not understood where I'm coming from. Not at all. Because even before we recorded this, we really talked about it and you completely understand why it scares me so much. I know exactly why it scares you so much. And honestly, The Exorcist, I agreed with you and I gave it a high number. I was just bored by this one. Right. Yeah. That's fair. 
Again, thank you guys for hanging out. If you want to catch up with us on social media, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And we are just the Extra Sisters podcast. On Twitter, we are the Extra Sisters. And you can always email us suggestions. And if you're going to critique how I felt about this movie, it's really personal. So I would rather you not. But if you need to talk about it. Let's not bully each other on what scares us. (laughs) You can hit us up on the Extra Sisters at gmail.com. Just please be nice. And you can find our ratings for all the horror movies we've done, blog posts about what's going on in horror. If you want to know what's coming and going on all the streaming services in horror, you can check that out at extrasisters.com. And next time, we have the story of the strangest passion the world has ever known. Till then, stay creepy.